it's time for the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent ETA, Agent Ether, and Agent Anderson. Come along as we examine UFO sightings, conspiracies, and all things strange. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. We also have an email address, AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to check us out on Discord and Facebook. Links in the description. This week's episode, The Philadelphia Experiment. So I don't know why, but for this episode, every time I'm looking it up, like on the interwebs, I kept looking up Manhattan Project instead of <laughs> Totally different thing. I know. I do not know why I was associating like the, the name. I don't know what the problem is over here. Manhattan Project is a good one. I know what the Manhattan Project um, is. I'm not sure it would really be a good fit for this show, but it's still a really interesting topic. Uh, you know, it'd be a good mind boggle, actually. Well, I remembered it by, you know, when I'm looking stuff up in my mind, I'm like, Philly sandwich, Philly sandwich. Which I haven't done a mind boggle in a while, actually. I no, it's been, yeah. it's been a bit. Been a long time, yeah. Been a bit. Well, what happens is I usually, I say, okay, well, I'll finish up my notes. And then I'll do the mind boggle after that. And then, you know, often I don't start my notes until Friday morning and other stuff happens and I run out of time and I don't have time for the mind boggle. And that's why, <laughs> but I got a whole list of them. So, I mean, there's not like I'm running out of them to do. I got tons and tons of them. It's just, it takes actually, it does take a little bit of time to write it up, you know, and condense it in like a really short format. It takes... I don't know, depending on the mind boggle, it might take like an hour or two, you know, give or take, depending. Anyways, all right, let's get into this week's episode, The Philadelphia Experiment. This one was suggested or sort of, he didn't really suggest it, suggest it, but he asked if we had done it before, so I'm, I'm calling that the same thing, but it was uh, Johnny Sweetfeet on Discord. Thanks for the suggestion, dude. And if you're not familiar with Discord... That's sort of like a chat sort of app where you can go into different servers and you chat with people, basically, just like a chat thing. And we have one for our show, and there's uh, pretty much a Discord server for anything you can imagine nowadays. Some of them are official, some of them are unofficial, and uh, not only chats, but it also has voice channels and stuff like that where we are now in a voice channel. Yeah, and you can find the links to discord both on twitter and facebook as well yeah and we're in here in this discord so if anybody wants to come in and say hi and uh if you see us on there somebody asked before is that really you on there like yep that's, that's <laughs> us. yeah i know we're like super famous and all but nope that's really us on there as <laughs> i thought i thought that was kind of kind of cute because we're actually not famous at all we're just regular people <laughs> <laughs> i know shocking i know but anyways, yeah, so come on down to Discord and say hello. I disagree. I don't think you're regular people at all. Well, I, that, that's that's fair. <laughs> that's fair, actually. <laughs> all right. So let's get into the Philadelphia experiment. Some people say that it was called, I mean, I've, I've seen it referred to as Project Rainbow online and in a couple of podcasts. But um, when I looked into it, I couldn't really find any solid evidence that it was Project Rainbow. I did find 
a CIA project involving like radar cross sections of the Lockheed U-2. That's that was Project Rainbow. Um, maybe there was another one that I couldn't find any reference to, but uh, like pretty much everything in this case, the more you dig into it, the murkier and more confusing it gets. It's one of those cases where we could go on and on and on. I mean, we could easily do several episodes on this one, but we're going to go ahead and do the condensed version. So what was that? My pen it unclicked by itself. I didn't press anything. It must be haunted. Haunted pen. Let's get our ghost meter. Yeah, we have a ghost meter, guys. Wait, I have a mind boggle. <laughs> Did we talk about the the hotel? I'm going to take your pen away. No, nope. you there. Did we talk about the, the hotel? We did not. We did not talk about the hotel. Should we All interrupt right. the episode right. to talk about the hotel? Yeah, yeah. We'll do a mind boggle. Okay. Okay, here we go. Ba-dum-bum. Strange events. Bizarre facts. The unbelievable reveal. <laughs> this is the mind boggle of the week. Haunted hotel. That's All right. right. Go for it. So, Agent Ether. locally, there's a hotel called La Rosa, and it's been around uh, a while. It's at least 100 years old. And it was originally um, a hotel. It was originally a hotel. You know what? I didn't actually write all this stuff down, though. What? For the mind boggle. You didn't write it down? No. No, because we did not plan this at all. <laughs> In fact, you just suggested it. So I thought you had something to go on. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we went and stayed at this hotel. It's local. It's in town. And uh, it was sort of like our Valentine's Day weekend getaway or whatever. We didn't do anything on Valentine's Day because, you know, restaurants and everything are booked to the so we went down to the hotel and it's a haunted hotel. So I went on Amazon and I bought a ghost meter because you never want to go to a haunted place unprepared. Trust me, it's a bad idea. So we go to this hotel. The place is pretty cool. It's, you know, it's got like the decor is, I don't know if it's from a hundred years ago, but it definitely gives you like a retro kind of a feel, you know, like it's very old looking and we go there. The, the service was great. The rooms were decent. Uh, probably not as nice as you would expect for the price, but this is a tourist trap kind of an area. So that's what you're going to get what you're going to get. But anyways, um, I, I was kind of creeping around the hotel at like midnight with a ghost meter in pajamas, in pajamas with a camcorder, which I need to review that, that footage actually, because sometimes ghosts show up on the footage. You can't see them with your naked eye. That's true. Haven't you ever watched those ghost shows? No, no, I have not watched those ghost shows. Oh, it well, says for entertainment purposes only at the end. Yeah, well, they're lying, okay? They, okay. they just have to say that for lawsuit purposes, reasons. Sure. Purposes, yeah. So anyways, uh, the only thing I found that was haunted was apparently uh, one of the light bulbs set off the meter. And um, the door, the bathroom door would close all by itself. Ooh. That's true. Oh. That's true. Yeah. Every time. That's pretty cool. Which leads me to believe that it was actually just off balance and not really haunted. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, you know, it could, could be haunted. You don't know. But yeah, other than that, uh, I did not get any ghost meter readings besides the light bulb. And uh, that's that was uh, it as far as the ghost goes. No cold patches, no creepy feelings, no, uh, no nothing, really. It was actually pretty disappointing in that regard. In that regard, yeah. Although yeah. we did go, the Olympics were on. This is a fun story. 
And we just turned on the TV, just you were like, yeah, let's turn on the TV, have a glass of wine, whatever. So we turned on the TV and the Olympics were on and it was curling. And we're like, so we immediately start talking shit. We're like, curling stupid, whoever, who watches this crap? This isn't a sport. The dumbest sport ever. And then we (laughs) proceeded to spend the next several hours watching it, totally engrossed and fascinated, (laughs) trying to figure out the rules and just like, we started getting invested in the games like, yeah, go Canada. Come on. You know, like that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, I guess we're curling fans now. <laughs> <laughs> Long story short, <laughs> drinking wine. That's what we do on vacation, man. We drink wine and watch curling. <laughs> and search for ghosts. Yeah, we look for ghosts too. There was supposed to be a family, uh, an entire family that was murdered up on the third floor, but we couldn't actually get that room. It was like a suite. I'm like, I am not paying for a suite. I don't care how haunted it is. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, I did go up to the third floor and I was creeping around outside the door, but uh, my meter did not go off. And I didn't stay up there too long because... It's rude. It's rude. I mean, imagine if you you come out of your hotel room and there's a couple of creeps out there with the <laughs> meter pointed at your door. I mean, <laughs> I might be slightly concerned if I saw that. <laughs> so I just walked by, I pointed it at the door real quick, kind of swept it around and then then went back downstairs because we I think we we're on the second floor. So, yeah, I mean, I I did walk around and I, I did my due diligence, guys, but I didn't find any ghosts, un- unfortunately. That doesn't mean it's not haunted. That just means that the spirits were not playing that night, unfortunately. Some people say they see, like, kids, like little girls or someone in the elevator. And they call the elevator Otis, which I find silly because all elevators are called Otis elevators. Well, that's not true. Well, the one at my work where I work is. I'm sure there has to be another elevator brand. I don't know. I, I was doing a crossword puzzle and that was the solution to the crossword <laughs> puzzle. So I'm like, this is, there can only be one. <laughs> yeah, apparently. But well, anyways, I guess that was, uh, I mean, maybe the worst mind boggle ever. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought we'd just talk about the actual state. Uh, there isn't actually a lot of history. You know, it was an area where the people were coming through. It was kind of a work town. They're pioneers. And there was allegedly a murder. A guy came in and murdered his whole family. But other than that, there's there's not a lot of uh, historical data. I'd like to say hmm. it's just, that's basically that. That's it in a nutshell. So yeah. But it's an original building. It's one of the oldest buildings in that area. And we walked around and looked at the the architecture, and I thought that was pretty. I thought that was pretty cool. I like old stuff. And we had dessert at a Thai restaurant. That is a true story. Mango sticky rice. <laughs> it was delicious. But not haunted. No. The, the, yeah, the sticky rice was not haunted either. <laughs> okay. All right. That, well, was, that was ridiculous. Let's, <laughs> let's get into the Philadelphia experiment. All right. Now that our audience is bored to tears. I think you're funny. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. All right, anyways, so we're talking about an experiment that supposedly happened in 1943, or rather a series of experiments. And these were, you know, guess where? At the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard. What they were trying to do, apparently, was make a big, giant ship invisible. And the reason they would want to do that, obviously, is for wartime-type reasons. This was during World War II. But most importantly, there was a big problem with German U-boats 
pretty much messing up the whole thing. I mean, they they were, uh, you know, to to borrow a phrase, they were fucking up the rice. The uh, experiment was to try to develop some sort of ship invisibility. And right away when I read that, I was like, wait, wouldn't there still be like a big giant indentation where the ship was? So like the ship might be invisible, but you could still see where it was because <laughs> a lot of the ship is actually underwater, right? Yeah. It's, so I was like, wait, why would you want, wouldn't you want like an invisible airplane? But whatever, let's pretend like that's not a problem. They figured out how to solve that somehow. So anyways, this experiment was on the Navy destroyer escort, the USS Eldridge. And they were using um, some of Einstein's unpublished unified field theory. So I, it's, it's kind of a convoluted mess, as I sort of mentioned earlier. And uh, I don't think, I, as to my knowledge, Einstein never published a complete unified field theory. Gosh, I sure wish I had a <laughs> physicist to ask about Einstein's unified field theory. Oh, wait, we totally do. So, Agent Ether, why don't you tell us a little bit about Einstein's unified field theory? I will. I just want to drop another fact, too. Some people say that for the Philadelphia experiment, the idea, the reason they were doing this experiment was to time travel to send supplies to the allies behind Nazi lines. Right. Yeah. So there, there are actually several ideas as to what they were up to. Were they, you know, so time travel is one of them. Um, invisibility is one of them. Invisibility is the most common one I found. There are a few others, but uh, we, we don't, won't go into too no, many No, I those. just yeah. wanted to hit on time travel because that's kind of a, a big one besides yeah. the invisibility. Yeah, I'd say the um, invisibility, teleportation, and time travel are probably the three major ones. But anyways, why don't you tell us about Einstein's unified field theory? All right, I can do that. Some people say this experiment was based on a unified... Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's your turn. <laughs> I cannot speak. Uh, can you please edit that all out? Maybe. Nope. Maybe. <laughs> maybe I'll put it over some beats and turn it into like a song. <laughs> oh, that'd be nice. <laughs> just kind of like loop it. <laughs> loop you stuttering, you know? <laughs> please don't. <laughs> Hold on, I'm going to practice. Unified field theory. I don't know why. I'm just going to call it UFT. <laughs> all right. Yeah, UFT. Go for it. Uh, which says that everything can be described in terms of fields when forces are interacting between objects. So the unified field theory is kind of like the grand unified theory where you want all the forces that we know about, like nuclear power and electromagnetism and gravity, and you want to explain them all using one type of framework. So Einstein thought that that framework, the thing that was mediating those interactions between the objects could be described as fields. And specifically, he wanted to combine the theory of relativity with electromagnetism, mostly because it would look very pretty mathematically. No, not really, because <laughs> <laughs> it would have real world implications, but it would also look nice mathematically. So the question, you know, then you might ask is, well, what is a field in terms of physics specifically? And it's how you define an object's value at every point in space and time. So a simple example would be 
if you're looking at a uh, surface wind map and every arrow is assigned a point to describe the speed and the direction, so that would be like a directional field, and you take the next step and you define that, that vector directional field, how it's changing in time as well, and then it becomes a, it becomes a field. And this is a powerful idea if you want to combine gravity and electromagnetic forces, because then you could use large electrical generators to bend light around an object, which would in fact make it invisible. Right. And we do have some very simple examples of bending light, like with a prism, right? Or uh, any, actually even just like a water, like a cup of water or a pool or whatever, if you stick your hand in there or a pencil or whatever, like it looks like it's being bent and that's light refracting, right? Would that be a very simple example of light refracting? Yes. Kind of? Yeah. No? No, it is. It is? Yeah. So it doesn't look like a straight line anymore. Once you put it in this, the water's surface, it looks bent because the light is being bent, right? Correct. So the idea would be to do that to such an extreme ex extent that you would bend the light completely around the ship to make it invisible. Yes? No? Yes? No, yes. Yes? It was a wonderful explanation. Thank you. Okay. Now, what I'm wondering right away is, if you were on the ship, what would that look like? Would you have no light, whatever? Would it, would it just be like black? That's a really good question. I don't know. Or would it look like really weird? Like when, if you're traveling at warp speed and you get all the lights coming at you at once and it would just look like, like white or whatever. Well, you would see a lot of colors and that's why they call it Project Rainbow. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that checks out. <laughs> all right. Or maybe, maybe it'd be like, like uh, in Interstellar. Oh yeah. Well, what happened in Interstellar? I, I remember not liking that movie, but I don't remember much else about it. <laughs> there was that one scene where he was like going through like, I don't know, like a, in between like dimensions or something, something uh -huh. like that. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, it kind of looks like a prism or something. Yeah not, yeah, not a prison, like a kaleidoscope, maybe. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah something like that. Maybe it's like that. All right. <laughs> so there's, like we mentioned, there was a lot of different reasons why they were um, doing this experiment. One of the ones we didn't mention was anti-gravity. That's another one that some, it's not as common as the other three we mentioned, but there are probably others too. But anyways, the testing in the summer showed some early success with the ship becoming partially invisible on one of the tests. Some of the crew members after this test suffered from extreme nausea, but the main event happened on October 28th, or maybe the 27th, or maybe the 29th, you know, whatever. The, the <laughs> It's uh, not exactly set in stone. But anyways, the experiment was successful on that date, but apparently the equipment was not properly calibrated. That's my turn. But That's karma. Yeah, I know, right? But apparently the equipment was not <laughs> properly calibrated. The ship, again, remember, was the Eldridge. Did I say what the ship name yes, was? Yes, you did. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So the ship was the yeah. Eldridge. It once again became invisible, and this time it left behind a green fog, and it disappeared from Philadelphia in a flash of blue light. Which was it? Blue light or green fog? There maybe, was both. Maybe it was both. Green yeah. fro frog. 
green frogs. Green frogs, <laughs> <laughs> green frogs and blue light. So it disappeared, <laughs> leaving behind a green fog, and it disappeared with a flash of blue light. And it somehow ended up in Norfolk, Virginia, over 200 miles away. And it stayed there for a little bit. Men aboard the SS Andrew Furseth, F-U-R, what is this? Furseth? Furseth, yeah, sorry. Furr? Furr. Furseth, I don't know, that's kind of a strange name for a ship. But anyways, (laughs) men aboard the SS Andrew Furseth saw it for a little bit while it was there. And then it vanished again and reappeared in Philadelphia. And maybe it went back in time 10 minutes during that process. I don't know. Nobody's really sure about that, but I did see that account somewhere. All right. So some of the seamen aboard became embedded in the ship itself, merging with the bulkheads or falling through the floor and getting stuck like halfway. Wait, 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 wait. What? Wasn't this a movie? Yeah, they did make a movie about it. They absolutely did. Yeah. I remember seeing this movie as a kid, but just the ending and being really confused and freaked out. (laughs) I think I walked in towards the end of the film. So I had no like basis or understanding about what was going on. And I just see these guys like writhing in pain. Yeah, It was actually not entirely unlike Event Horizon, except probably not nearly as gruesome and gory. But even though there was a lot less blood, it was still pretty horrific because it was showing people like merging with objects and you'd see like, you know, somebody's body and face and whatever just kind of gross and merged with a bulkhead. And it was pretty creepy for a kid to see something like that. Yeah. Well, and some of the bodies were reported to have been like basically reanimated inside out. Right. Which is, yeah. Gotta be a, a, yeah, some quite the monstrosity. Yeah. You know? Some, some people were supposedly just turned inside out. Like they're just piles of guts and stuff. Ugh. <laughs> um, yeah, it's more, more like the movie, uh, doom. Yeah. <laughs> Based off the game, you know, it's like, a, it's like a, a scene from a Doom game. Some people went insane, and the people that went insane were carted off to institutions and their families told that they were lost at sea. Two men were set on fire and burned for 18 days and couldn't be put out no matter what was tried. And that's sort of a, it, that one, it's hard to evaluate because. They didn't say what they tried and they didn't say, I mean, you imagine if they're on fire for 18 days, are they screaming and in pain because wouldn't they just burn up and die? Or I don't know. That one didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but uh, who knows? I mean, none of this stuff does. So I guess anything's possible, (laughs) right? Invisible ships, people that burn for 18 days. Why not? Uh, Some people just plain vanished. They just were gone, and we don't know where they went, maybe a different dimension or whatever. Some people began to phase in and out of existence. So they would be there, and then, you know, they'd be conversing or doing, like, you know, anything, like walking or whatever, and they would go away, and then they would come back. Some people were frozen in place. There was one story that the men got off of the ship in Norfolk, went to a bar, they got into a bar fight, and during the bar fight, they were phasing in and out of existence. This is like something that would make a really good movie scene, but um, it's something that to me is sort of a red flag because 
if that was actually the case, that would have been in the newspaper. But uh, not that I dug that deep, but there's no mention of this thing anywhere. So, uh, so as far as like the bar fight goes, potentially what you're saying here is that like the lucky ones, uh, the naval crew that survived this uh, experiment, basically came out the other end with like superpowers. I know, right? They were um, like Nightcrawler. I think that's Nightcrawler <laughs> that does that, right? Oh yeah, yeah, Nightcrawler. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you could con- could control it, of course. Right. Yeah. So I mean, I guess that'd be that'd be a pretty badass superpower. You could just like walk through walls. You could, you know, in a fight, you just, somebody throws a punch and you're gone. You show up behind them and like, you know, just kick them in the back or whatever. It'd be super sweet. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, so that, that's like, that's like a kind of a short synopsis of what happened. Um, you can do a much, much longer version of like just the basic story, but, um, that's sort of kind of, that's the Philadelphia experiment. Ship vanished. Horrible, horrible things happened to people on the ship. And there were some witnesses from ships either in the Philadelphia or Norfolk Harbor that saw what happened. And you can find lots and lots of stuff online. Earlier, I was listening to an interview with some guy on Coast to Coast who went on for over, I think, two hours about his experience. Um, but, uh, you know, it some of the stuff... I don't know. I didn't want to go too far on that stuff because it just goes, it, it's a really, really deep rabbit hole with this one. So I wanted to do like a short summary. Now, the next part is how did we find out about the Philadelphia experiment in the first place? Well, it turns out, uh, well, before I do this, actually, Agent Ether, did you have anything you wanted to get to before I do the part on how we found out about it? Well, we could talk a little bit about time travel. Oh, yeah, yeah, because that was one of the theories or one of the ideas as to why they were doing the experiment. Was was time travel. Yeah, time travel. All right, let's go. Well, because, you know, the unified field theory could also be used perhaps to time travel. There's a lot of different ideas about how one would go about doing that. And an example is the Godel model, which uses closed time-like or CTC curves which are different world lines that interact with one another. And this is kind of like how the unified field theory, the math looks really nice if you're able to solve the equations. Um, Closed time-like curves can solve general relativity problems that describe the, the universe. So in that way, if it solves these problems, theoretically, time travel is possible. So I can solve any equation. You know how? No. Any equation. Give me an equation. No matter how complicated, I can solve it. I'm looking at you because I'm not sure where you're going with this. You just divide everything by zero. Why would you do that? Boom. Equation (laughs) equation solved. (laughs) Booyah. Anyways, please continue. You might ask, one might ask, what about the problem of causality? Yeah, what about causality? You can't time travel. That messes up stuff. And don't give me this Douglas Adams bullshit that it the time uh, time flow or what would you call it? Like the timeline just kind of works itself out, you know? I don't buy into the Douglas Adams approach, even though I do really, really enjoy his books. Well, you could look at the Novikov self-consistency principle, which is a fancy way of saying that, in that any paradox or change to the past that might exist has a probability of zero and is therefore impossible. 
But what about Zaphod being his own grandfather? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, spoilers. Well, oh, okay. That so, book is so good. <laughs> uh, consider consider the scenario, the the grandfather scenario. Yeah. You uh you can't actually kill your grandfather. Can't? You cannot. Okay, why not? Well, you think you have free will, but that's just an illusion. You need a certain chain of reactions to take place. And we think if we don't do something that we could still do it if we wanted. But that's not true because the world just moves forward. And if time travel was an easy and common thing and the perception of free will was different, we wouldn't consider time so paradoxical paradoxical at all. So maybe our free will is a reflection of the fact that we're living in a world without these closed time loops anyways. So uh, I don't know. I don't know what all that means. But <laughs> yeah. let's, I was gonna. I was gonna say, man. I don't know what you just said, but that's that sounded smart as fuck. <laughs> so let's say it's I actually go, very philosophical, though. It's less <laughs> mathematical and physical at that point, and yeah. more philosophical. But let's say I go back in time, and I do something like, let's say I go to London and I put a brick in a pathway that I know somebody's gonna stub their toe on it when they're walking by. And just the fact that guy stubbed it, or gal, whatever, or child, dog, I don't know. Somebody's going to stub their toe <laughs> on that thing, and that's going to completely change their day in some small, insignificant way. But that's going to lead to changes in the timeline. It doesn't, though, because events on, events on any loop, on any closed loops, are guaranteed to be self-consistent. So they influence each other around a closed curve in a self-adjusted, cyclical, and consistent way. But what if I go back and kill my grandfather? We just discussed that. But what, I mean, but if I actually had a time machine and I physically went back there in time and I had a gun to my grandfather's head, what would stop me from pulling the trigger? Well, would you? I don't know. Me? No. (laughs) But there are definitely some people who would. You know there are people who would. I don't know. I haven't met any. <laughs> you, got, you don't know who I hang out well, with. And hey, with. I got weird friends. You all have right? to ask if these same people who, who would do this, would they have access to and be able to travel through time? The answer is probably no. And so the likelihood of this event happening is zero. It's not going no. to happen. No, it's the likelihood is not zero. What if some drunken person stumbled into a time machine and went back in time. I mean, they've made movies like this, right? (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's a mini wormhole. It's possible to go back in time and cause mist. Just the fact of you being there and displacing air that wasn't displaced before would violate causality, right? Just in a very, very tiny way, like the butterfly effect or whatever. But what would stop you from going and making mundane changes, whether it would be, you know, spending money or nudging into somebody on the street or something that would have ripples over time, or doing something very, very big, like let's say killing Hitler before he came to power or something like that. So I think there's there's the two basic arguments for this particular model, which I only looked at one particular model because we could do a whole episode on time travel. We should. That would be a really fun episode. So I'm only talking about one model. And in this model, because you're on a closed cycle, then 
the things that you do are self-consistent. So there is no butterfly effect. The world kind of changes if you make that sort of adjustment. It changes to reassert itself along the appropriate timeline. So that's for small things. And for bigger things, like killing Hitler, it's impossible because it's not probable. And that's that's how it's described in this hmm. particular model. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's highly interesting. And I definitely want to do an episode, like a whole episode on time travel, because uh, from what I understand, time travel is not just science fiction, but there are some actual, real physics and science theories that say it should be possible, right? Right. That, that's true. Although, I don't know. It depends on who you ask in the physics world, I suppose. But we have tested one form of time travel that we know for a fact does exist, but that's only forward in time, right? So through relativistic travel, this is something that's been tested with experiments. We know that time passes differently depending on your velocity. And they've tested this by launching stuff into space with satellites and very, very fine-tuned equipments. So if you're traveling faster, time passes differently. You're going to experience time the same as somebody else would, but when you land, you're going to be slightly ahead. I mean, not really slightly ahead, but time passes. Di- How would you describe that, right? We're talking about Einstein's theory we, of relativity We actually here. discussed this on a previous episode, how astronauts age slightly differently than people here on Earth once they land. Right. We're talking gazillions of a second. So it's not something it, you're ever yeah, going to notice. Yeah, I'm not going to measure, but... But like if you're going, um, if you're going like... the speed of light and you, you went out for a year and you came back for a year for you, two years have passed, but for people on earth, it would be a lot, a lot more than two years. Yeah. Yeah. It might be like 500 years or something. Right. And they've tested this. This is a fact. So we know for a fact with the right ability, like if we could travel very fast in some kind of rocket or other machine, then you could actually travel forward in time. But I've never heard anything that would allow you to travel backwards in time. And that would be the really interesting thing to do. Because you can go forward in time, you're not going to violate causality. And that's really, for me, the interesting thing is, how would you be able to go back in time and not violate causality? Because it's just not possible, right? If you go backwards. Anyways, that's that's a whole other, whole other episode. But I just wanted to mention that it is... According to our current understanding of physics, it is absolutely 100% possible to travel forward in time. We've tested it and proved with experiments that this happens, which is just kind of blows the mind. So I don't remember the movie with the uh, Philadelphia experiment. I only remember the ending, but I was reading that in the movie that was made in 1984. There's these two experiments and they're connected through this time wormhole and the generators on the ship kept the portal open as it sucked in matter from the past. Huh. So. Yeah, the people back then don't need it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I didn't see, I almost wish I'd watched the movie, but to be honest, I'm traumatized from. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was young then, uh, but apparently this was part of the inspiration for Stranger Things. Really? This, okay. This specific movie. I mean, there were other things too, but yeah, I, I read that that was one of the inspirations for for Stranger Things, specifically 
the uh, this upside down portal. So one thing to mention real quick that is completely unsubstantiated, but I did hear on another podcast, they mentioned that when the movie came out, the Navy tried to block the movie from release in American theaters. But um, I, I was like excited about that because that makes the whole thing really interesting. It's sort of like if they're trying to stop it from coming out, there's two possibilities in my mind. Either there's really something to it that, you know, there really was some sort of experiment with this sort of stuff, or they're trying to block it as some sort of psyop to convince our enemies that this thing actually happened when it didn't really to lead them on a false trail. But either way, if that happened, that would be really, really interesting. But unfortunately, I couldn't find any mention of this anywhere. Like it, so it appears to be either what I was listening, I won't mention them because I don't want to put them on the spot, but either they have a source that is unreliable or something that I couldn't find, but it may or may not be true, but I was not unable to find whether or not the military actually tried to block this, but that would be really interesting if they did. Unfortunately, I couldn't verify it. But anyways, please continue, Agent Ether. Well, I don't even, let's see, da, 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 notes, wormhole movie. Oh, so. <laughs> yeah, you were talking about the movie. You're talking about Stranger Things. Yeah, so another way to make a ship invisible, tying it back to the uh, Philadelphia experiment, would be to create a wormhole into the future. So you just have it travel in time? Well, yeah, that would be one of the ideas, is that uh, the ship is actually traveling through time in a wormhole to the future. Hmm. I guess that would make it invisible if it wasn't there anymore. That's, yeah. <laughs> nope. Okay. And that could also explain why it traveled from Philadelphia and then uh, to, uh, where was it? Nantucket? No. Uh, where did I say? Denmark. No, it wasn't Denmark. <laughs> Norfolk. <laughs> Norfolk. That's it. Norfolk, Norfolk, Virginia. Dang. Okay. Yeah. So um, <laughs> that could explain a wormhole. I mean, that takes, that could take you from point A to point B, couldn't it? it yeah. I mean, uh, I don't want to talk too much about the Montauk experiment and this guy, what is his name, Bielik? Yeah, there's a whole interview. That's what I mentioned earlier on Coast to Coast. You can look it up. There's a Coast to Coast podcast, which is like the best of Coast to Coast. Oh, and he was interviewed. He was interviewed. And it's a um, really interesting interview. If you want to hear somebody who claims to be involved with the Philadelphia experiment talking about it, then look up that interview because... Uh, he goes over a lot. For example, he said that he was age regressed to the age of one in the 60s so that uh, he would forget everything. And then he somehow remembered everything. It's, I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff in that interview. It's, it's pretty wild stuff. Well, it, it, he's the one who said he and his brother jumped off the ship and then went 40 years into the future, right? Yeah. That's the I same mean, guy. Yeah. See, so time travel. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if I've, if I've ever seen a case of time travel, this is it, right? Yeah, exactly. Proof positive. Proof positive that our government has time travel technology that they're hiding from the populace. Oh, gosh. That reminds me of Big Bang Theory, though. Uh-huh. When uh, Lender, Leonard and Sheldon first meet. And I think they're doing over the roommate agreement or something. And they're like, okay, let's both agree that if we make a time machine, we'll travel to this point in time right now. 
And then they're both really disappointed because <laughs> they haven't invented a time machine. But yeah, but the, the punchline there, or for me anyways, is that science actually says that time travel should be possible. And that's why like these, you know, the, the TV shows about these scientists, I don't know how accurate the science is on that show. Seems as ac- as far as I can tell, it's accurate. But uh, the, the idea is that, you know, like I said, that it is possible. Physics says we should be able to travel back in time, which is crazy, but fun too. Some physics. Well, some physics, yeah. Some physics. Apparently. I don't know. I don't Alleg- know any physics. Allegedly. Yeah. All right. Moving right along here. Let's talk about how we found out about the Philadelphia experiment. Now, this is where it starts to get a little... Uh, well, let's just look into it. Now, first of all, this is the short, 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 short version. This gets incredibly convoluted. And it it involves things like UFOs unpublished theories of Einstein, Nikola Tesla's theories, and those theories, you know, when he died, his papers were confiscated. And, uh, you know, Vannevar Bush and, um, I mean, lots and lots and lots of other stuff. Like, you could probably do, it ties into so much crap that you could probably do a whole, I don't know, 10 or 20 episodes on this stuff. It's just, it's crazy just how far-reaching this stuff actually is. I was a little surprised looking into it and like I I was um, sometimes I like to listen to what other podcasts are saying about the topic. And so I downloaded a couple of them to do when I was just doing mundane stuff like grocery shopping and be like, really, this guy did a two part episode on the Phil. How? (laughs) And I listened to it. I'm like, Oh, okay. That's how, yeah, it gets, it gets pretty dang convoluted. But the short version is in 1955, somebody mailed a copy of the case for the UFO by M.K. Jessup to the Office of Naval Research and an envelope marked Happy Easter. Uh, <laughs> this per- the person who mailed it was later found to be Carl M. Allen. Now, the book that was mailed was annotated in three different colors of pens. Supposedly, it was discussion between three people about the UFO technology in the book, how close they were to finding out what the military was up to and all sorts of crazy things like that. And, you know, it, it suggests that maybe it was a government people who were discussing what the book was about. And in this book, it's references the Philadelphia experiment. That's the first sort of, sort of a uh, version we have of it. It doesn't flesh out the entire story, but it does reference it. In 1956, Allen, using the sexy alias Carlos Miguel Allende, Allende, that's I'd I'd tap that. That's even better than Carlos Danger. (laughs) 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 But, uh, anyways, so Carlos Allende wrote letters to the author Jessup, telling him not to investigate the levitation of UFOs. Also discussing things like the unpublished theories of Einstein and the theories that were used on the Philadelphia experiment and the story of what happened during the experiment. So all this, I mean, you can actually find these letters online. You can find the annotated novel online. You, all this stuff is available uh, if you if you want to go look for it yourself. And uh, you can find that on... Um, 
a website I found that had some of this stuff was de173.com, but there are lots of other places you can find it. So anybody who wants to go look at the source material for themselves, which I think is, you know, if you're curious, it's always, well, always, who has time for this, right? But um, it's good. That's why often I'll quote source materials on the show because it's a lot more powerful than just hearing somebody's opinion on the source material. But anyways, all this source material we're talking about is available on the internet that you can find for yourself. But uh, the theories or um, what was going on with the experiment and the story and all that stuff, basically everything about the uh, Philadelphia experiment comes from a single source. And that source is the letters that Alan or Allende was writing to uh, Jessup. That's where we get the Philadelphia experiment from. So we all, we don't have multiple witnesses for this thing. We just have a single source, which was a guy writing letters under an alias to an author who had published a book about UFOs. And it's sort of like, like I said, this gets really convoluted. I don't want to go too deep down the rabbit hole on this one. Cause I mean, you can just keep going and going. But years later, Alan admitted to making all of the annotations himself in the book, but in different colors. So it seemed like three different people, but it was just him. And Alan's family was later interviewed and described him as a master leg puller. Oh, no. (laughs) So I love that description. You know, it's like, does this guy tell tall tales or what? Oh, yeah, he's a master leg puller. Sort of a unique title there. <laughs> um, he apparently committed, uh, no, not he, not Alan, but Jessup, the author, apparently committed suicide in 1959 with the old car in the garage trick. So carbon monoxide poisoning. And that's sort of an interesting detail because you could say that it's suspicious if you're going to fake a death. That'd be the way to do it. You know what I mean? You don't got to drug him or whatever. You just got to tie him down in his car, turn it on, come back an hour or two later, untie him, and he's dead, right? But uh, there's actually zero evidence for it, and I didn't even see anybody. I, I didn't read or hear anybody speculating that it could be a murder. But um, to me, when I see that, I'm like, hmm, if I was the government and I was going to kill somebody, but no, I don't think there's really any evidence for it. It's just sort of food for thought. But Alan himself, or Allende, went on to do a few interviews, but not that many. He wasn't really that public of a figure. He eventually recanted the story, but then he unrecanted the story <laughs> and eventually died in 1994. So that's, that's like I said, that's the short, 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 short version And you could do several episodes just on this convoluted story of what happened. Talk about all the letters, what were in the letters. There are actually some really interesting stuff in the letters. And like, like I said, you know, it touches on different things like potentially um, like technology from like Nikola Tesla and a lot of different things like that. But um, because, you know, I kind of, I feel like this one is, very, very provably a hoax. I didn't really want to dig into all that stuff all that much because at the end of the day, it's probably all made up. Um, You could say that he recanted his stuff because 
I mean, you could say, well, you know, the government made him do it or it was all true and he just was afraid of something or other or he recanted because he didn't want to be in the public limelight or whatever. Like, the fact of him recanting in and of itself doesn't necessarily prove anything. There are reasons why you might say something truthful and not recant it, but when you look at the totality of the whole case, it just doesn't really add up that much for me. So to get to some possible explanations of the experiment itself, if you want to take the testimony as being somewhat real, um, there were in experiments that we know about for sure involving degaussing ships in the Philadelphia Harbor. But the reason they would degauss the ships would be to make them invisible to magnetic mines, not invisible to light. And also, these degaussing experiments, or degaussing, basically demagnetizing, these experiments would not have any sort of visual effect. You wouldn't be able to see that it was going on at all. Uh, it probably wouldn't even make any noise. Maybe if you were close up, it would make some clicking. I don't know. But there are also some pretty big problems with this story. For example, we have all the logbooks from the USS Eldridge, they're on microfish or film. You can look them up. Um, it was commissioned, the USS Eldridge was commissioned on August 27th, 1943, and was in port in New York City until September. And we have the logs, uh, like I said, on microfilm. And the <laughs> during the time of the Philadelphia experiment, especially uh, in October, it was in port in New York City. We know this for a fact because the logs were there. So they would have had to forge these logs to say it was there when it wasn't really. And I just don't see that happening. If they're going to experiment on a ship, they're just going to experiment on it. They're not going to have the logs publicly available at all. You're not going to be able to find those logs at all. You're not going to know where that ship was during that time. It'll be classified, but it's not. We know where it was. And it, I just, I just don't think that's how the the military really operates. Yeah. Well, and one thing also is, is if this thing was so top secret, why didn't they do the experiment at, at more of a top secret site? Right. Yeah. That's. Yeah, I mean, without a bunch of prying, <laughs> prying eyes all around. You know. Good. Good point. Yeah. I didn't think about that, but that is an excellent point. Uh, the but as the military often does. They say uh, they say some strange things. The Office of Naval Research, uh, when asked about the Philadelphia experiment, said, "ONR has never conducted investigations on radar and visibility, either in 1943 or at any other time." And you know, that is sheer and utter bullshit. Because I know for a fact that they have ships that are designed to be invisible to radar. Cause I've seen the pictures. Yeah. <laughs> I know they yeah. exist. Are they, we know about these ships. So <laughs> the fact that they say something that's provably false, and we've talked about this before in other shows, how the, <laughs> the military will say this. It's almost like they're trying to egg us on. Cause we know they're lying. We know they're lying. So they're trying to, I don't know, dude, I think stuff like that. They're kind of trying to maybe misdirect foreign powers to maybe look into something that is false or maybe something that's completely made up to waste resources 
Because why would the Office of Naval Research say something that is very easily provably false? Easily. You can Google it. I forget the exact name of the ship I've read about or the ships I've read about, but they definitely have ships that are designed to have a smaller or no radar signature. I mean, it's just, it's easy, easy. Just take five second Google search. No problem, right? Anyways, in 1999, there was a reunion of Eldridge veterans, and I guess they were interviewed by a Philadelphia newspaper, and they said that their ship had actually never made port in Philly. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of interesting. Why would they lie so many years later? Um, I don't know. Were they lying? Probably. Probably not. I don't know. But uh, yeah, so that's um, pretty much in a nutshell all I had on the Philadelphia experiment. And as as you've heard from my conclusion there, I definitely think, unfortunately, it was a hoax. You know, the, the fella making up all this stuff in these letters, he was just making it up to tell a good story. Um, there, there are other witnesses that have been interviewed, like we mentioned earlier, and there's so much more to this case. And it makes a really good story because it appears that there's... I mean, if you ignore the problems with the story, like the fact that the logbooks or the whatever say that the Eldridge was not in Philadelphia and the people from the ship saying that it was never in Philadelphia. And you know, some of the problems like this, if you ignore some of these things, it's a really good story with some really interesting witnesses. And you go listen to them, not just read, but if you listen to them, tell your, tell their stories, they sound like they don't sound like they're lying. They sound like they're telling like something, even no matter how wild the story gets, they still seem genuine. So they're really good actors, I suppose. But um, when you, there are certain facts that are just really hard to explain and lead me to believe that this is probably a hoax, unfortunately, because it's such a good story. Any final thoughts, Agent Ether? Well, I kind of want to go watch the movie now. Yeah, we should do that. Yeah, That'd be fun. That's yeah. kind of my plan. All right. Agent ETA, final thoughts? Yeah, I, mean, I think I kind of line up pretty much right along with you also. I mean, I mean that that ship was was uh, built that year and it also had a, a pretty decent uh, you know career after that. Um and it was actually actually it was later uh donated to Greece, I think. I, I doubt they donated it, but yeah, Greece I think Greece bought the ship and Well, it was um, it was it was part of the Mutual Defense uh, Act or Assistance oh, was it? Act. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And uh yeah, so so but but anyways, freaking I mean you would expect with with uh, all the tales of people being fused into the ship and you know people like phasing down one level and then getting their you know their arm like a uh, you know fused into a wall or something like that well, first and foremost if that is true i feel sorry for i mean a lot of the people but but like that person definitely lost a, a hand or part of an arm you know but i mean if that would happen I, there would be damage to the ship where they would have they would have a repaired whatever happened and I, i've <laughs> never heard any any accounts of that well that's that's why they uh <laughs> apology in advance for this, but <laughs> that's why they donated. That's why they gave the ship. Why would you give away a perfectly good steel battleship, uh, cruiser thingy, whatever it was is a battleship escort because do you know how hard it is to get semen out of bulkheads? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> That's why they gave it away. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I, I had to. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> but anyways, all right. Is that, is that all you fellas have for this week's episode? No, yeah, Agent Ether? Yeah. I'm shaking my head at you <laughs> and I, only you. I couldn't help it. I had to. It's, <laughs> did you uh, have that pre-prepared or did it come to you suddenly? Uh, no, I mean... I think actually I've heard similar jokes on other podcasts, but um, like I, I wasn't planning on making those jokes because other people made them when I was like, it's, it's such low hanging fruit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I, I don't think we're going to talk about the semen because it's just, it's been done to death, you know? And yet, but I just, I couldn't help myself when, you know, I, I didn't realize the ship had been given away. I didn't read that anywhere. <laughs> And Agent ETA mentioned that. And I was like, oh, well, well, I guess the reason why they gave it away, you know. You know, uh, <laughs> such a guy thing to say. Yeah, it is. You know? Ma- makes yeah. sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it totally checks out. Why else would they give away a perfectly good ship, you know? Turn it into a cruise ship for tourists, sell it for razor blades or whatever, you know? That thing's worth money. Why would you just give it away? But anyways, all mm. right. So that about wraps it up for this week's episode Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you could really help us out by leaving us a good review wherever you listen to podcasts and suggesting the show to your friends. Keep it strange.